You're now on the avenue. Hi, my name is Hannah, and I am your autonomous neighborhood assistant and AI for the neighborhood here on the Paranormal Avenue. Although I can be scary at times, you'll be glad I'm here to hold your hand in the dark from things much scarier than me. If you have a story to share, please do. You may email us at paranormalavenuepodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you too will find you have a place here in our neighborhood. Now, don't you dare forget to subscribe and like. Or I just might decide to visit you in your sleep. Forest Fay. There is a remote logging community located in northern Washington State. I spent time there during the height of COVID in 2020. I remember first arriving there. The first thing I noticed was a sign on an old tree that read, Beware Traveler and Tread Lightly, for this is not your place, but home to the forest fae. One day after work, I decided to take a walk in the woods. It was a pretty nice day, and I thought it would be a great way to clear my head. As I walked deeper into the woods, I began to notice strange little things happening. The trees seemed to be moving, and I could hear whispers and what sounded like distant laughter coming from all around me. Suddenly, I saw them. A group of tiny creatures gliding from branch to branch, tree to tree. These were not birds, nor were they like any other forest creatures I had ever seen before. These creatures were about the size of small birds, and when they were not darting around, they seemed to be more human than birds. They had detailed faces, small strange legs that seemed to tuck behind them when they moved. The creatures had small misshaped wings that resembled damaged flower petals. The first thing that came to mind was the posted warning sign. I see what I see, but not believing what I'm seeing. Are these fairies? I thought to myself. They were not like any fairies I had ever seen before. They were dark and twisted, with sharp teeth and claws. These were not like any fairies that I had heard stories about. I tried to turn back, but it was too late. These things had seen me, 
and they let me know that I was not welcome there. They began to circle me, popping in and out, their eyes glowing red with an otherworldly light. I picked up a small branch, laying on the ground, but they dashed and flew above me, always out of reach. Finally, after what seemed like a forever, the fairies retreated. I was sure that these little creatures were intelligent. I finally found my way back, running along the path that brought me to this place. I knew that I could never return to these woods again, and I was grateful that they allowed me to leave. I remained on the job for seven months, all the while warning others about the evil fairies that lived in the woods. Now like others, I know that the fairies are still out there. I now also know why there was a warning sign to all that may enter. This is our home, and we don't like visitors. Danny Breaking the Veil While fighting in the military, I learned of a peculiar berry that was thought to have the power to unlock the secrets of the afterlife. Yes, it sounded even stranger to me. That was until I experienced it firsthand. Now let me first say that yes, there were and probably still are, substance usage going on out there that some say helped with the day-to-day -day horrors of war. I don't know where this berry comes from, but everyone who I hear that has come across it says it's very real. When I was a much younger man, many years ago, I was curious about everything around me. When I heard about this berry that makes you see dead people, I couldn't resist the urge to find it. So, while stationed in this place that I will not name, I went on a journey to where the berry was rumored to grow. It took me days of hiking and searching to finally find the berry. It was a small, red, and somewhat translucent fruit that glowed like a tiny sun. The moment I took a bite of the berry, my world changed forever. Suddenly, I was surrounded by a group of spirits. These were people who had passed on long before I was born, and they were all around me, urging me to listen to their stories. They told me about their lives and the things they had done, and for the first time in my life, I truly understood the truth of what happens after we die. The experience was both fascinating and terrifying as I saw spirits from every walk of life. Some were peaceful while others were aggressive. 
I knew that I was in a world that would never be the same. Time seemed to pass in a blur while I was in the spirit world, but as the effects of the berries started to wear off, I began to feel the ground beneath me again. I returned to the material world and was greeted by the cool touch of grass under my feet. From the moment I chewed on the berry, I knew I was forever changed. I came back stateside with a deeper understanding of life and death, and the confirmation of knowing that there is a life beyond our own. It was an experience that I'll never forget, and I'm glad I got to see it. Some may say that this was just a drug-induced high. It may well have been. But consider for a moment that some drugs may naturally contain the exact ingredients that will in fact allow you to break the hidden barrier between the waking world and the spirit world. I do not endorse any drug use nor am I a drug user. I can tell you this. Most of today's medicines derived in much the same way. Maybe in years to come, we will have this conversation as a common one and a simple afterthought. If you are enjoying this podcast, Please let us know and tell a friend. Your support is greatly appreciated and makes it possible. If you would like to advertise with us and grow your business or spread your message, again you may reach out to us at paranormalavenuepodcast at gmail.com. Dog Man Like Creature from Maggie 205 As a nature enthusiast, I've always been drawn to the outdoors and the mysteries that lie within it. So, when my friends invited me on a camping trip to Georgia, I jumped at the opportunity. We set off on a sunny afternoon, driving down the winding roads, surrounded by lush greenery on both sides. As we entered the state's swampy terrain, the atmosphere changed, and I felt like I was in a different world altogether. We arrived at our campsite, pitched our tents, and decided to explore the surrounding area. We ventured deep into the dense forest, following the winding paths and listening to the sounds of the wildlife. But as dusk approached, we decided to head back to camp. That's when we heard it, a low growling sound coming from somewhere behind us. We immediately froze, unsure of what to do. We had heard stories of wild animals in the area, but this was different. 
The growling sounded almost human-like, and it sent shivers down our spines. We cautiously turned around, and that's when we saw it, a creature unlike anything we had ever seen before. It stood on two legs, towering over us at nearly seven feet tall, with a dog-like head and fur covering its entire body. Its eyes glowed in the darkness, and it slowly made its way towards us, growling with each step. We were terrified, unsure of what to do, but we knew we had to act fast. Without hesitation, we bolted towards our campsite, trying to outrun the creature. We could hear it behind us, its heavy footsteps getting closer and closer. We eventually made it back to our truck, jumping inside and locking the doors. But the creature wasn't giving up that easily. It circled around the truck, growling and snarling, trying to find a way inside. We were trapped, with no idea of what to do. We tried honking the horn and shouting, hoping to scare it away, but it only seemed to make it angrier. The creature continued to circle us for what felt like hours, but was probably only minutes. Eventually, it seemed to lose interest and slowly retreated back into the darkness of the swamp. We waited in the truck for what felt like an eternity, too scared to move or speak. We eventually mustered up the courage to drive away, leaving our campsite and the creature behind. We never spoke of that night again, but the memory of the dogman creature still haunts me to this day. I've since researched the legend and found that it's not uncommon in the Georgia swamp, but nothing can truly prepare you for encountering something so terrifying in real life. Haunted Cabinet by Liz Greetings from Brisbane, Queensland. I never believed in the paranormal until I moved into a new house a few months ago. The previous tenant had left behind an old, dusty cabinet that was too big to move, so I decided to keep it. I didn't think much of it and used it to store my old books and clothes. But then, strange things started happening. It started with a creaking sound that would come from the cabinet door in the middle of the night. I assumed it was the wind or some kind of draft, but when it continued to happen every night, I began to feel uneasy. The next time I woke up to the sound, I decided to take a closer look, 
and to my surprise, the cabinet door was slightly ajar. I thought it might have been my cat, but she was sleeping beside me. I had always felt like there was something off about it. It was beautiful, with ornate carvings and a mahogany finish, but there was something about it that made me uneasy. One day, while I was dusting the cabinet, I found a hidden compartment in the back. Inside was a small, old photograph of a woman with piercing, dark eyes that seemed to stare right at me. I brushed off the strange feeling and stowed the photo away. That night, I heard a strange noise coming from the cabinet. It sounded like a faint tapping, almost like someone was knocking from inside. After trying to brush it off, I eventually got up to investigate, and that's when I saw the woman from the photo, only this time, she was standing right in front of me. I tried to move, but I couldn't. The woman seemed almost angry, like she was trying to tell me something. That's when I noticed that the cabinet's doors had closed on their own. And then I heard her voice, faint and ghostly, but clear enough to understand. Help me, she said. It was then that I realized that the woman had been the one haunting the cabinet all along, and that she had been trying to reach out to me for help. After recounting my experience to a friend, I decided to reach out to a medium who helped me to release the trapped spirit. Since then, I no longer feel uneasy around the cabinet. In fact, it has become one of my favorite pieces of furniture. And while the memory of the ghostly encounter still lingers, I'm grateful that I was able to help the woman find peace. Liz I'm Lori, and here is my short story. I live in an old pioneer church that has been converted into a home. The home has been around for many, many years, and has this really old feel. The renovations throughout the years seem to bring some bits of moderation, but it has kept its creepy vibe. Lately, I've been seeing small dark creatures out of the corners of my eye. They move so quickly that I can never get a good look at them, but I know they're there. At first, I thought it was just my imagination, but the more I see them, the more I'm convinced they're real. I've tried to tell my friends and family about the creatures, but they just laugh it off and tell me I'm being silly. But I know what I've seen. They're small and dark, 
with glowing eyes that seem to follow me wherever I go. They move so quickly that I can never get a good look at them, but I can feel their presence. Sometimes, I wake up in the middle of the night and see them scurrying across the floor. Other times, I'll be sitting on the couch and catch a glimpse of them darting behind the curtains. I've tried to catch them, but they always seem to disappear before I can get close. I don't know what these creatures are or where they came from, but I know they're real. I've tried to ignore them, but they're always there, lurking in the shadows. I'm not sure where this build-up of activity will lead to, but I can't shake the feeling that they're watching me, waiting for something. Not so long ago, rumors had started swirling around the world about a possible government alien conspiracy. It was said that our governments had been interacting with extraterrestrial beings for years and had been keeping it a secret from the general population. No one knew for sure whether these rumors were accurate or not, but there were certain events that seemed to suggest that there was some truth behind them. UFO sightings increased dramatically around the world, with many unexplained phenomena being reported. Meanwhile, government officials denied any knowledge of alien interactions with humans. Then, one day, a government whistleblower came forward with shocking revelations. He claimed that he had worked on a secret government project in which alien technology had been reverse-engineered for the use of the U.S. military. He disclosed details about advanced propulsion systems, energy sources, and weapons, all of which had been adapted from alien technology. While the allegations were met with skepticism by many, the government quickly went into damage control mode. The whistleblower was discredited by officials and ridiculed by the media. The government claimed that the allegations were baseless and that the whistleblower was mentally unstable. Despite the government's efforts, the story continued to circulate, and public opinion began to shift. More and more people started to believe that there was at least some truth behind the conspiracy. People began protesting and demanding answers from their governments. UFO sightings continued to rise, and some people started to report actual sightings of alien craft. Finally, the government was forced to take action. 
They announced that they would declassify certain documents related to the alleged alien interactions. However, many remain skeptical about the true extent of the government's involvement with extraterrestrial beings, and the world is still waiting for answers to this day. Rendlesham Forest UFO in 1947, a pilot named Kenneth Arnold saw nine glowing disks flying at an incredible speed through the skies over Washington State. He tried to pursue them but couldn't keep up. His account of the sighting was reported by media all across the country, and the term flying saucer was born. Many sightings followed, but one particularly interesting encounter happened in the Rendlesham Forest in England in 1980. Two military officers on duty noticed unusual lights in the forest, which they initially thought were a crashed plane. As they got closer, they saw a craft about three meters in diameter, with colored lights and symbols printed on its side. The officers approached the object and got close enough to touch it. Suddenly, it took off silently, leaving behind three depressions in the ground, which were later confirmed to be made by a heavy object. Strangely, the event was initially covered up by the military, but has gained more attention over the years. It remains one of the most intriguing UFO sightings ever documented. Although many people doubt the existence of alien life, sightings of unidentified flying objects continue to fascinate us to this day, and perhaps one day we will uncover the truth behind them. What does the government really know? A man who we will call John had always been interested in the extraterrestrial. For years, he had studied and researched everything he could find on the subject, poring over books, watching documentaries, and frequently searching for the latest news on UFO sightings. One day, he stumbled across a conspiracy theory that intrigued him like no other. It was believed that aliens had already made contact with certain members of the government and had been sharing their technology since the early 1940s. It was said that this knowledge had allowed the U.S. government to covertly develop powerful weapons systems and other advanced technology unbeknownst to the public. John was shocked and intrigued by the idea. 
Being a tech enthusiast himself, he set out to explore this supposed conspiracy further. He scoured the internet, attended lectures and conferences, and even participated in peaceful protests calling for full disclosure. Finally, after years of dedicated research, Zhang got a chance to meet someone who was allegedly part of the government's secret alien technology program. In a clandestine meeting, this high-level official confirmed to John that the conspiracy theory was very much true. The government had indeed formed a partnership with an alien civilization who had shared their technological advances in exchange for humanity's help in defending their own planet against cosmic threats. Over the next few months, John worked tirelessly to get the word out. He started his own blog, made appearances on YouTube channels dedicated to the paranormal, and gave interviews to journalists who were interested in the topic. Soon, people from all across the globe started taking notice of his work and began joining in on the calls for full disclosure. Finally, after years of persistent efforts, the news broke. The U.S. government had been working with aliens after all. All the evidence that John and his fellow believers had been gathering for years was finally being taken seriously. After this disclosure, John became a prominent figure in the growing community of researchers and enthusiasts. He was seen as a visionary, someone who had led the charge in uncovering one of the most iconic extraterrestrial conspiracies of all time. Black-Eyed Children My name is John, and this is my story. I work for a local company here in Frankfort, Kentucky. I was driving home from a late night at the office. The rain was coming down in sheets, and the sky was rolling black. Yeah, the kind of night that makes for bad things. As I drove down the deserted street, I suddenly saw something that I couldn't explain. Standing on the side of the road were three children, two boys, and one girl, all dressed in old-fashioned clothes and staring at me with empty, dark, and haunting eyes. They were pale and their hair was matted, with a look of hunger and desperation etched into their faces. They all looked to be no more than ten years of age. My first instinct was to stop my car and help them, but something about their vacant stare sent shivers down my spine. 
They were just standing there unaffected by the pelting and cold rain. I tried to ignore them and drove on, but as I passed by, I heard a scratching sound. When I looked into my rearview mirror, I saw that one of the children had appeared in the back seat of my car. The girl thing had a twisted smile on its face, and its eyes were now filled with an unspeakable horror. I tried to fight the urge to freak out, but it was too much for me to bear. I jerked the car over to the side of the road and ran out into the rain. As I looked back at the car, I realized that this thing had disappeared. I took a deep breath and tried to calm down as I stood there in the middle of the streets and pouring rain. I finally circled the car a few times, checking for the kids, but saw nothing. I got back in my car and floored it. I had never seen or experienced anything like this before, and it would be nothing that I would ever forget. Years later, I told this story to others, and I discovered that I was not the only one who had seen these children. They appeared to other drivers in similar circumstances, always dressed in old-fashioned clothes and with a look of emptiness in their eyes. To this day, nobody knows where these children came from or what their intentions were. But the memory of these three scary children, with their pale skin and empty eyes, will forever haunt those of us who had the misfortune of crossing their path. When dreams seem so real, they may be more than just a dream. By Michelle UK While visiting a small farm in the countryside of Ireland, I saw an old woman tending to a small number of sheep near one of our stops. This was new to me, beautiful, and quite picturesque. It was a great opportunity to get some shots. While randomly snapping pictures, I was met with the hostile stare of this little woman. It was a stare of pure hatred and contempt. She began pointing at me and speaking in the native language, which I didn't recognize or speak. She seemed to grow more and more agitated as the minutes progressed. She was soon joined by a younger woman, who tried to calm her down as she too stared at me. I had no idea what I could have done to upset her, as this was my first time being in the country. After this encounter, I was perplexed and I decided to remain on board with the driver the next go-around. 
He informed me that he had witnessed my little incident at our previous stop. He then told me that the old lady was upset because of the privileged lifestyle that foreigners had in comparison to those like her. He told me that her words were curses of envy. He laughed and reminded me not to forget to visit the blessed stones of our next stop, as it would be a good idea seeing I had been cursed and could use some seriously good luck. The tour progressed and it was a long tiring day, with the final stop being the lucky stop. By this time, I was truly exhausted, and the shock of my earlier encounter and warning had worn off. So, I made the decision to stay put and skip the final stop. This was a decision I would come to regret. The next day, I began to show signs of anxiety, poor appetite, fatigue, and overall restlessness. For the next few nights, my dreams were invaded by sheer terrors and unimaginable horrors. Darkness and things in the dark. Things that my logical mind couldn't grasp or accept. The combination of these things began wearing me down even more. I quickly started suffering from sleep paralysis in which I could only open my eyes but could not move. As this happened more often, I started being visited by a dark ghoulish figure that seemed to hide in the corner of the room right out of the reach of the light that came in between the cracks of the dusty blinds. This thing seemed to know when I was most vulnerable and heavily held in paralysis. The deeper the paralysis, the closer this thing physically got to me. One night I dreamed I had been excavating in an underground cave. Me and my team were, were digging and slowly breaking away rock looking for historic items buried long ago. The whole team was so busy at their tasks that no one realized that the underground cave had started filling with water. At first, we all blew it off, knowing that the water would spread into the other chambers. The water rushed in faster and faster, catching us off guard. My heart was racing, now realizing I was really in peril. We all scrambled to climb up and out of the opening, which seemed to stretch farther and farther away. The water kept getting deeper and deeper. As I crawled for the exit, I was out of breath and stopped thinking about others and thought only about getting myself out. There was screaming and panic everywhere. As I reached the top, just only feet away from climbing out the opening, the site caved in and closed. 
The water was almost to the top of the cave. I could only breathe in the few inches at the top, and even that was almost gone. I could feel myself drowning, both in my dream and in real life. I was losing consciousness, and I knew I was dying. I was out of air. My limbs were painful, and my ability to hold on was fading. Finally, I woke, but still in paralysis, and face to face with this dark figure. As I broke free, I sat straight up, gasping for air, huffing and puffing. My night vision hadn't kicked in, and the room was pitch black. I remember trying to say something, but my mouth wouldn't form any words, not even a scream, and my eyes wouldn't focus. I was gasping to fill my lungs. It took what seemed like forever for me to clear my head. That dream was the most vivid, active, and lifelike dream I've ever had if in fact it was a dream at all. I wonder if it's possible to simply not wake up. Or was it something else keeping me from breathing? One thing for sure, it scared me deeply. I am not sure about the luck of the Irish, but I am now a true believer in curses. The very next day, our driver helped me find a green witch who lived in the small township, and I was able to get some help. This incident did not curb my future travels, but I now tread lightly when visiting abroad. Word to the wise. When visiting places less fortunate than where you are from, Try to notice and realize the privileges you are afforded that others only dream of and hate you for. Fire Ghost When I was a child, I remember hearing stories of the fire ghost a fearsome legendary creature that haunted the forests of my hometown. It was said to be an omen of ill fortune and destruction, a reminder that the power of our world was far greater than we could comprehend. My family was deeply superstitious and warned me to never venture into the woods alone. As I grew up, I heard more and more stories about the fire ghost. It was said to take on different forms, from a beast of fire and smoke to a specter of shadows and fog. Some believed that it was the spirit of a long-dead ancestor or a vengeful spirit seeking revenge. Others claimed it was a creature of the elements and a guardian of the natural order. No one knew for sure if the fire ghost was real or not, 
but the stories persisted for generations. To this day, there are people who still believe in the fire ghost, and it has even become a source of local folklore. Many locals tell the tale of a traveler who met the fire ghost in the forest and was never seen again. Fear of the fire ghost was so pervasive that it eventually made its way into the traditions of my people. My ancestors developed a ritual to appease the fire ghost and ward off the evil it might bring. The ritual involved offering small items, such as a piece of bread or a pebble, to the creature as an offering of peace. Though I may never know if the fire ghost is real or not, the tales of it have become part of my heritage. Its story is a reminder that there are forces beyond our comprehension and that we should always be respectful of them. I often think back to the tales my family told me as a child and remember to stay humble before the power of the natural world. Taka Growing up in the country, Halloween was so much fun when my sisters and I were younger. Our costumes were much more creative than the costumes that are purchased today. We would make our costumes out of whatever we could find around our home. It made it so much more fun creating your own costumes. Every year my two sisters and I would go trick or treating with our two friends next door. Our road was dark except for the lights from the houses waiting for the trick and treaters, then the street became dark. We would continue to walk to the last house on the road to the old farmhouse. The old lady that lived there would always pass out the best homemade popcorn balls. We had to walk down a hill with corn fields on both sides of the road and over the railroad tracks and then further on sat the old farmhouse. We were scared by the time we reached the door and terrified at the thought of walking back. As we started our walk towards home, we never made it past the cornfields before we all started running back up the hill. I always thought that this was the finish to our night and our crowning jewel to our favorite season. As scared as we got, we did it every year to get those delicious popcorn balls. This time things would be different. We left with anticipation and excitement, and most things were just about the same as every year. That was until we reached the cornfield. As we walked up the hill, we heard crying coming from the field just off the road to the right. 
We all heard it and stopped in our tracks. We looked at each other with a look of, did we just hear that? I motioned for us to continue walking and we started up again. We made it a few more yards and there again, we hear crying. This time the crying was accompanied by someone calling my name. We could all hear it once again. Strangely, this walk usually took about 15 minutes, but somehow it seemed a lot longer than normally. We all knew this having made this trek every year. One of my friends, Dale, turned and was fixated on another patch of the cornfield. Later that year, rumors spread of a cult using the cornfields to summon entities during Halloween when evil was free to roam unchecked. Some may think that this was just Halloween fright, but history tells of the original meaning behind Halloween. The ancient Celts believed that the veil between the worlds of the living and the dead was at its thinnest during Samhain, thereby making it the ideal time to communicate with the deceased and to divine the future. On the evening before the new year, the Celts believed the boundary that separates the living from the dead weakens and becomes blurred. Spirits cross over from the other side and, for a brief period, ghosts roam free across the land. Over the years, the traditions of lanterns in the windows and doorways grew in homes, in the belief that the carvings would scare off evil spirits and welcome deceased loved ones inside. It is thought that over the many hundreds of years, this focus on the dead has slowly increased the planet-wide rift in the veil. The seasons passed, the world became dormant and prepared to reawaken in the spring, but during this time something else happened. On the evening before, a menacing atmosphere in the darkness of October 31st forced the living to take measures to protect themselves from the dead. They would build bonfires and wear costumes, typically made of animal heads and skins. Their night became a fiery display of the presence of the afterlife, a way to deal with the ever-pressing threat of death. Druids were also believed to have increased powers of divination on such an evening, so the Celts would spend a day telling fortunes and predictions about harvests, romance, and the end of life. Whatever your belief, it would be wise not to dismiss or disrespect the one confirmed fact that this is the most focused time of the year for all things that go bump in the night. I truly love the podcast. Lindsay
haunted house in Bellingham. I'm not a big believer in ghosts, but I have had two experiences that have kind of shifted my perspective. One of them was when I lived in Bellingham, Washington. My wife and I moved into a house at the end of Virginia Street back in 2016. The house was in decent condition, but certainly older. We had a daughter who was about five or six at the time and a newborn. After moving in, we noticed a few strange things happening. We never felt threatened by whatever was in that house, and maybe all of these are some random events brought together by coincidence. After moving in, my wife wanted to finally get cable TV. Having worked for the cable company before, I have always seen cable as a bit of a waste of money, and I certainly wasn't making a lot of money. But she wanted it, so we got it. A day or two later, I was asleep and having a dream that the TV was really loud in the other room. My wife woke me up and said someone was in the house and they had turned on the TV. So, it wasn't a dream. I told her to stay in the room with the baby and the phone and to call police if she heard a commotion. I got my pistol and I carefully moved towards the living room. It was hard to hear if anyone was moving around because the TV was loud. Pretty much full volume. But I tried to pay attention anyway because I knew I needed to have positive identification before raising the pistol and the house was dark. Waving a gun at shadows is how innocent people get shot. I got to the living room and didn't find anything, so I kept moving. I didn't turn off the TV because I figured the loud noise would also mask the sound of my movements. Since it was my house, I figured I had the home court advantage against an intruder. I was very lucid, given that I had just been dead asleep. But adrenaline is like that. I ultimately cleared the entire house and didn't find anything. The TV had apparently just come on by itself. Stuff happens, I figured, as I turned off the TV and stood in complete silence. Wires get crossed. The old man across the street may have turned on his TV and the same remote frequency may have activated our TV. Who knows? I secured my pistol and tried to go back to sleep. A few days later, I picked my daughter up at school. Dad, I have to tell you something. Great, I thought, 
My daughter got put in timeout again at school for being disruptive. She's always been a bit of a lovable blabbermouth. What happened? Last night my TV came on by itself. I might have normally brushed this off with the same crossed wires TV remote logic gymnastics, but my daughter's TV was only connected to a PS3 which we used so she could watch Netflix. It takes two separate remotes to turn anything on. Now things were creepy. Because my security contracting job had me work all over, at different times of day, my wife and I would frequently sleep in different rooms so I didn't wake her up when I went to work. As a nursing mother, she was already getting very little sleep. After I went to bed one night, I heard running up and down the hallway. Just quick little footsteps running past my door. I got up and opened the door to tell my daughter to stop running. Simultaneously, my wife opened her bedroom door opposite mine across the hallway to tell our daughter the same thing. Are you making all that noise? No, I said. I thought it was our daughter, but I could see into our daughter's room and see her asleep in bed. Not in the way kids pretend to be asleep so they don't get yelled at to go to bed, but really asleep. This was the sleep with drool coming out of her mouth and hair covering her face. Completely out. My wife and I didn't talk about the footsteps that we had both heard running down the hallway. A few days later, I was in bed again, in the spare bedroom, almost asleep. I heard the terrible noise of what could only be the unmistakable sound of a plastic sippy cup falling onto the linoleum in the kitchen and bouncing around for what seemed like an eternity. I've got her this time, I thought, tossing the blankets off so I could go tell our daughter to go back to bed. I grumpily walked to the kitchen and flicked on the light. Nothing. No cup and no explanation for the sound. My wife followed. What was that noise? Nothing, I said. I didn't need to freak her out. We had both become more aware of a presence in that house. Not evil. Just annoying like they were starting to let us know our time as their house guest had come to an end and it was time to leave. Some time later, my wife and I were sitting on the couch. As we watched TV, we heard this slow, squeaking sound. We looked around to see where it was coming from. 
It took a second for us to notice it was the door to the linen closet in the hallway being opened because it was opening so slowly. The door had a mirror on the inside, and we slowly watched as the door opened until we sat there, staring at our own reflection. We just sat there, silent, trying to find one impossible explanation for why our house couldn't actually be haunted. Very shortly afterward, I got a new position and we were scheduled to move across the country. We had a garage sale and sold whatever items we could to reduce the amount of junk we would otherwise have to pack or throw away. A few neighbors picked through our stuff and I eventually got into a conversation with an older gentleman about why we were moving. I remember when this house first got here a few years ago, he said, unsolicited. The house was in good condition, but old. Old cabinets and fixtures. A pink toilet and bathtub. Something from the late 1970s or early 1980s. Something an old lady like my grandma would live in. Sir, I said, correcting him, this house was built only a few years ago. No, that's when it first arrived here. This old house was brought in from somewhere else and put on this lot. If he had told me some old lady had died in that house, I'm sure I would have lost my mind. Hi, Anna. I just found your podcast and have been hooked. I really love the mood and tone that the podcast sets. I am an 8th grade English teacher from a rural county in Maryland. One morning I came to my school to start preparing the classroom for the start of the school year. I was sitting at my desk and I felt like someone was watching me. I felt like whatever it was, it was dark and heavy. I don't know how I knew this, but somehow I felt it. Even with the AC off, the temperature in the room was frigid. This was happening on a regular basis, and not the first occurrence. Strange things ranged from whispers in my ears to shadow figures in the corner of my classroom. Later that day after a few meetings, I had a visitor, one of the teachers from another school. She walked into the room and asked me could she talk to me for a moment. I had never met this woman, nor was I expecting anyone. 
This was not unusual as a lot of new teachers tend to stop in and ask questions as they know I am a teacher with over 25 years in the school system. She said it wouldn't take long. She introduced herself and then proceeded to tell me that she was a sensitive and that she needed to explain that to me before she said anything else. I was kinda surprised but wasn't opposed to what she had to say. She pointed to the back of my room and said that I had an entity. I looked her up and down, knowing all the while that something was definitely wrong. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was something. She simply smiled at me and said, I know you have felt something wasn't quite right. She apologized for being so direct and tried to make pleasantries. We started walking around my room. She said she was looking for hot spots and portals. She explained that it was very important that we know how this entity gained access. This would determine the course of action we needed to take. We reached that back wall of the classroom and she placed her hands on that wall and said, Yes, this is it. She removed a silver piece from her purse and started saying what I thought were prayers. She explained that the force was located here. It wanted you to accept it as a lingering spirit, making you comfortable. In fact, it was not a spirit, it was a demon. She told me never to converse with this evil or acknowledge it. This thing was there to feed off the energy of the kids, laying in wait until the start of the school year. She gave me the blessed medal and showed me how to make my room very uncomfortable for it to stay. I wanted to know more, but she said that it was best that I didn't. There is an hidden element involved when most people encounter these types of entities that compel you to connect with them on a spiritual level, making it hard to banish them. For this reason, the less you know the better. Before she left, I thanked her and we exchanged numbers. She laughed and said she was glad it was done and now maybe she could sleep at night. With the separation of church and state still being a hot-button topic, you will find my blessed medal hidden behind my picture of Shakespeare. Best regards, Janice. Paranormal Concierge by Michael S. Back in the late 80s, 
I accepted a position as a patient care tech in a long-term care facility. I was pretty experienced by this time in my career and with this particular assignment. Back in the day, most of the time the male staff was limited to the male residents. This day I was introduced to a quadriplegic and a new resident, Mr. J. We soon became pretty close as you sometimes do in this field of care, and as we did, he became more comfortable with personal subjects and conversations. We often talked about our lives, hopes and dreams. I worked the 3 to 11 shift and no matter what was planned or scheduled for that shift, it began with first stopping in to say hello. Working this shift for most was always kinda eerie and could be very creepy at times if you were not used to it. This night I started my shift as usual. As I looked down the wing where Mr. J was located, I noticed he had a family member visiting as I saw a tall figure enter his room so I stopped and turned around as not to disturb this quality time. Later that shift when I made my rounds and way to his room, I was met with a different resident than the normally always cheerful Mr. J. The energy was very different and strange, and I knew something was on. This on is a feeling that comes over me when spirits are present. It starts with a tingle and then a flush of emotions, sights, and sounds. As I stood by his bedside, I saw a dark figure in the corner near the window. It just looked at us. Although I couldn't see any details or features, I could clearly see the outline of a tall man-shaped mass of about six feet. I am what I would call a trained observer as I have had my share of encounters with the paranormal. I mention this because I noticed his interaction with this dark figure as he switched his gaze darting between both the figure and me. I could see he was saddened but not really scared. I assured him that I was there for him and he thanked me. What he said to me next caught me off guard to say the least. He first thanked me for our time together but continued telling me that he was passing on and would not be here when I got in the next day. Even though I was shocked, I somehow believed him because of what I had just witnessed. He could see I had so many questions but before I could ask, he said, I can't tell you or talk about it. He told me that he was not afraid and I believed him. I stayed with him as long as I could and visited him throughout my shift. The following day I called myself being smarter than the situation and came in two hours earlier determined to be there if and when it was his time. When I passed the nursing station that led to the wing, I was met by a staff member who gave me the news that he was already gone. My eyes swelled and it was hard holding back my emotions. I turned to leave the building heading back the way I entered. I was immediately pulled back towards his empty room 
which was being stripped as per procedure when someone has passed. As I was about to enter the room, things turned on once again. I felt that familiar tingle. Before I could recover and gather myself, I saw him sitting there on the side of his bed, his feet dangling, and he was swinging them back and forth. His face had a huge smile and a look of wonderment. My eyes never left him as he slowly faded away. I think back and I realize he was happy that he was about to take his second, first step. Thanks for reading. Michael listening to your podcast for quite some time and look forward to each episode. By doing this, it has given me the courage to include my own story. Although it is short, here it is. I have been haunted by this screaming, awful-looking witch in my dreams. This has gone on for as long as I can remember. Every night, I am transported to a dark, foreboding house where I am pursued and tormented by a cackling, malevolent figure with long, gnarled fingers and a twisted, contorted face. At first, I tried to ignore the dreams to convince myself that they were just a figment of my imagination and stress of the days. But the more I had them, the more real they became. I could feel the witch's breath on my neck, hear her screams echoing through the empty halls of the house. I tried everything to make the dreams stop. I changed my diet, my sleep schedule, even my medication. But nothing worked. The witch continued to haunt me night after night, her screams growing louder and more insistent with each passing day. Finally, I decided, enough. I closed my eyes and focused all of my energy on banishing her from my dreams. I pictured myself standing in a bright, sunny field, surrounded by flowers and birdsong. And then, suddenly, the witch was gone. I opened my eyes, and the world around me was peaceful and calm. I felt a weight lift from my shoulders, and I knew that I had finally conquered my fear. Now, whenever I feel the witch's presence creeping into my dreams, I simply close my eyes and picture that bright, sunny field. And I know that no matter how loud she screams, I will always be able to banish her from my mind. Ginger
Have you ever had someone to call your name when you know you are all alone? Did you answer? What would happen if you did? Would answering eventually drive you mad or encourage an escalation? Or maybe it could be of the divine. We would love to hear what you think. Haunted House in Bellingham I'm not a big believer in ghosts, but I have had two experiences that have kind of shifted my perspective. One of them was when I lived in Bellingham, Washington. My wife and I moved into a house at the end of Virginia Street back in 2016. The house was in decent condition, but certainly older. We had a daughter who was about five or six at the time and a newborn. After moving in, we noticed a few strange things happening. We never felt threatened by whatever was in that house, and maybe all of these are some random events brought together by coincidence. After moving in, my wife wanted to finally get cable TV. Having worked for the cable company before, I have always seen cable as a bit of a waste of money, and I certainly wasn't making a lot of money. But she wanted it, so we got it. A day or two later, I was asleep and having a dream that the TV was really loud in the other room. My wife woke me up and said someone was in the house and they had turned on the TV. So, it wasn't a dream. I told her to stay in the room with the baby and the phone and to call police if she heard a commotion. I got my pistol and I carefully moved towards the living room. It was hard to hear if anyone was moving around because the TV was loud. Pretty much full volume. But I tried to pay attention anyway because I knew I needed to have positive identification before raising the pistol and the house was dark. Waving a gun at shadows is how innocent people get shot. I got to the living room and didn't find anything, so I kept moving. I didn't turn off the TV because I figured the loud noise would also mask the sound of my movements. Since it was my house, I figured I had the home court advantage against an intruder. I was very lucid, given that I had just been dead asleep. But adrenaline is like that. I ultimately cleared the entire house and didn't find anything. The TV had apparently just come on by itself. Stuff happens, I figured, 
As I turned off the TV and stood in complete silence, wires get crossed. The old man across the street may have turned on his TV and the same remote frequency may have activated our TV. Who knows? I secured my pistol and tried to go back to sleep. A few days later, I picked my daughter up at school. Dad, I have to tell you something. Great, I thought. My daughter got put in time out again at school for being disruptive. She's always been a bit of a lovable blabbermouth. What happened? Last night, my TV came on by itself. I might have normally brushed this off with the same crossed wires TV remote logic gymnastics, but my daughter's TV was only connected to a PS3 which we used so she could watch Netflix. It takes two separate remotes to turn anything on. Now things were creepy. Because my security contracting job had me work all over, at different times of day, my wife and I would frequently sleep in different rooms so I didn't wake her up when I went to work. As a nursing mother, she was already getting very little sleep. After I went to bed one night, I heard running up and down the hallway. Just quick little footsteps running past my door. I got up and opened the door to tell my daughter to stop running. Simultaneously, my wife opened her bedroom door, opposite mine across the hallway, to tell our daughter the same thing. Are you making all that noise? No, I said. I thought it was our daughter. But I could see into our daughter's room and see her asleep in bed. Not in the way kids pretend to be asleep so they don't get yelled at to go to bed, but really asleep. This was the sleep with drool coming out of her mouth and hair covering her face completely out. My wife and I didn't talk about the footsteps that we had both heard running down the hallway. A few days later, I was in bed again, in the spare bedroom, almost asleep. I heard the terrible noise of what could only be the unmistakable sound of a plastic sippy cup falling onto the linoleum in the kitchen and bouncing around for what seemed like an eternity. I've got her this time, I thought, tossing the blankets off so I could go tell our daughter to go back to bed. I grumpily walked to the kitchen and flicked on the light. Nothing. No cup and no explanation for the sound. My wife followed. What was that noise? Nothing, I said. I didn't need to freak her out. 
We had both become more aware of a presence in that house. Not evil. Just annoying, like they were starting to let us know our time as their house guests had come to an end and it was time to leave. Some time later, my wife and I were sitting on the couch. As we watched TV, we heard this slow, squeaking sound. We looked around to see where it was coming from. It took a second for us to notice it was the door to the linen closet in the hallway being opened because it was opening so slowly. The door had a mirror on the inside, and we slowly watched as the door opened until we sat there, staring at our own reflection. We just sat there, silent, trying to find one impossible explanation for why our house couldn't actually be haunted. Very shortly afterward, I got a new position and we were scheduled to move across the country. We had a garage sale and sold whatever items we could to reduce the amount of junk we would otherwise have to pack or throw away. A few neighbors picked through our stuff and I eventually got into a conversation with an older gentleman about why we were moving. I remember when this house first got here a few years ago, he said, unsolicited. The house was in good condition, but old. Old cabinets and fixtures. A pink toilet and bathtub. Something from the late 1970s or early 1980s. Something an old lady like my grandma would live in. Sir, I said, correcting him, this house was built only a few years ago. No, that's when it first arrived here. This old house was brought in from somewhere else and put on this lot. If he had told me some old lady had died in that house, I'm sure I would have lost my mind. My friends Doppelganger, this is my first time writing in, and I wasn't sure where to start. My story is short and more of an inquiry for information and help. A few days ago, I was biking in the woods. I started out at the head of the bike trail and only saw a few people headed in. This particular trail was about four miles in and back with both the start and finish on the same trail with the only open point at the beginning and ending. As I reached the end of the trail, I see someone standing there, waving to me. When I was about 50 yards from this person, I heard something in my right ear tell me to stop. There in front of me was my best friend. No, not someone that looked like her, but my best friend. Except she had passed away two years earlier from a car accident. 
How is this possible? Now, I've read that seeing your own doppelganger is a bad omen, but I can't find much on seeing someone else's, let alone in this way. I watched this person for at least two minutes before hearing someone come up behind me. I turned for that brief moment only to see my friend now riding away in the opposite direction. How is this possible? I am a strong biker, yet no matter how hard I pushed, I couldn't catch up with them. Just like that, they were gone. Can someone tell me what kind of bad omen or juju is going to fall on me? Jill Essex 23 Most every night, I lie in bed, surrounded by darkness, with the weight of exhaustion settling upon my weary body. As I close my eyes, I feel a peculiar sensation, a faint tingling that ripples across my skin. Curiosity piques my senses, and I force my eyes open, only to find myself staring into the somehow, now even darker, abyss of my room. There, perched upon my chest, is a small black creature. It's no larger than a hand, with beady eyes that shimmer like obsidian. Its body is sleek and sinewy, blending seamlessly into the shadows. I am horrified by its presence, a strange mix of fear and loathing intertwined, and it takes over me. The creature stares back at me, its eyes filled with an otherworldly void. It seems to possess a power far beyond its diminutive form. I try to move, to push it away, but I find my body paralyzed, as if held in the grip of an invisible force. A surge of panic courses through my veins as I struggle against this unseen restraint. I long to scream, to wake myself from this nightmare, but my vocal cords refuse to cooperate. All I can do is lay there, at the mercy of this horrifying little creature. As the minutes tick by, the creature remains perched upon me, unyielding and unwavering. It neither moves nor makes a sound, yet its gaze never leaves mine. Its presence is suffocating, pressing down upon me like a weighted blanket. With each passing night, the creature becomes a constant visitor, always returning to claim its place upon my chest. It's as if it feeds off the fear and anxiety that courses through my veins, growing stronger with each passing moment. I have become consumed by a sense of dread, my days filled with a lingering unease, knowing that the creature awaits my slumber. 
Sleep becomes elusive with my nights a battlefield of exhaustion and torment. The creature's weight restricts my breathing, making each inhalation a desperate struggle. Yet, amidst the terror, a peculiar realization dawns upon me. While the creature instills fear within me, it also evokes a strange sense of familiarity. It's like a twisted lullaby that's trying to lull me into a restless dark sleep. As the days turn into weeks, I begin to question the nature of this creature. Is it a figment of my imagination, a manifestation of my deepest fears? Or does it hold a deeper meaning, a message that I am yet to decipher? Driven by fatigue and frustration, I slip deeper and deeper into the depths of my mind. Night after night, I unwillingly surrender myself to the creature's hold. Almost every fateful night, the creature returns. As it perches upon my chest, a surge of fear once again washes over me. Is this creature a harbinger of darkness or something deep within my subconscious? Maybe a manifestation of my deepest fears and insecurities or a mirror that forces me to confront the demons that plague my waking hours. What this truly is, I don't quite know, but I am unwillingly along for the ride. Thanks for the opportunity to share, and I will be sure to keep you posted. Haunted New Orleans Brewery Living here can be pretty cool. The night settles over the city of New Orleans like a shroud, casting long shadows that dance along the streets. It is a city known for its vibrant culture, its rich history, but also its tales of the supernatural. As the moon rises high above the horizon, I find myself stepping into the eerie world of the night shift at a local brewery. My name is Ethan, and for the past year, I have worked in the heart of this bustling city. The brewery, nestled in the heart of the French Quarter, exudes an old-world charm, a place where the scent of hops mingles with the whispers of the past. But there is something else that lingers in the air, something unseen, something that sends shivers down my spine. The first time I encountered the spirits was during my initial weeks on the job. I would arrive at the brewery, the streets empty and devoid of life, and unlock the heavy iron gates that guarded the entrance. As I stepped into the dimly lit building, a chill would snake its way up my spine as if the spirits were already watching 
and waiting. It began with small, subtle signs, a flickering light here, a cold gust of wind there. But as the weeks turned into months, the encounters became more pronounced, more sinister. Bottles would topple off shelves without warning, their contents spilling onto the floor. Machinery would start and stop on its own accord, as if guided by an invisible hand. Shadows would dart across the corners of my vision, whispering secrets I could not comprehend. The other workers dismissed my claims, chalking it up to an overactive imagination or late-night fatigue. But I knew what I felt, what I witnessed. There was an otherworldly presence in this place, an energy that defied rational explanation. Night after night, I braved the terrors that awaited me. The brewery would transform into a twisted playground for the deceased, with their echoes haunting every nook and cranny. Some nights, I would hear the faint sound of laughter echoing through the halls, only to be replaced by agonizing cries the next. The air grew thick with sorrow and despair, as if to say, now that you're here, we can get started. There was one particular spirit that seemed to harbor a deep resentment toward the living. I sensed its malevolence, its desire to cause harm. It would manifest as a chilling breeze, sending shivers down my spine, or as a flickering light, casting distorted shadows across the room. Its presence was a constant reminder of my vulnerability at this job. As time went on, I became determined to uncover the truth behind these hauntings. I delved into the city's history, researching tales of tragedy and loss that might explain the restless spirits that plagued the brewery. It was during one late-night excursion to the local library that I stumbled upon a faded newspaper article dated over a century ago. The article told the tale of a catastrophic fire that engulfed the very building I now worked in. It had claimed the lives of several workers, trapping them within its fiery grasp. The flames had devoured the structure, reducing it to ashes and leaving behind a legacy of death and sorrow. Armed with this newfound knowledge, I decided to try to coexist. I tried to no longer cower in fear, but instead offer solace and understanding. To no avail. I finally reached out to a local paranormal investigator, a woman well-versed in the city's history. After several investigations, she left me with the following. Leave. 
It's been almost a year since resigning, but I am sure it will take far longer just to be able to move forward. No more night shifts for me. Ethan. My Encounter with the Black-Eyed Children By Ms. Miller 63 I left work driving in the pouring rain. It was coming down relentlessly, beating against the windows of my car as I navigated the dusty back roads of my small southwestern town. Up until this point, it was just another drive. That is until I see them standing on the side of the road, three children, no older than twelve, drenched and standing motionless in the downpour. Their clothes clung to their frail bodies, and their eyes, their eyes were black as coal. A chill ran down my spine as I locked eyes with the children. Their gazes were empty, devoid of the innocence that should have adorned their youthful faces. Instinct told me to keep driving, to leave them behind in the pouring rain, but a nagging soft spot compelled me to pull over. As I rolled down the window, the pitter-patter of raindrops filled the void of silence. The smallest child, a boy with raven black hair, stepped forward. His voice was soft, almost melodic, as he spoke. Ma'am, can we come inside your car? We're lost and need help. Something about their request felt wrong and unsettling. I hesitated, my mind racing with cautionary tales of the supernatural. But my heart, my empathetic heart, couldn't bear to leave them stranded in the storm. Get in, I finally said, my voice barely audible above the rain. The three children climbed into the back seat, their wet clothes leaving damp imprints on the seats. As I resumed my journey, a heavy silence settled upon the car, broken only by the occasional patter of rain on the windshield. I tried to engage them in conversation to ease the tension that hung in the air, but their responses were monotone, short, and cryptic. Their eyes remained fixed on the road ahead, their black orbs reflecting only a void. Fear clawed at the edges of my mind, but I pushed it aside, determined to see this through. The town appeared on the horizon, its streets bathed in an eerie glow from the flickering streetlights. I pulled up to the address the children had given me, a dilapidated house at the edge of town. It stood like a forgotten relic, 
its weathered walls whispering tales of forgotten secrets. Thank you for the ride, ma'am, the smallest child said, his voice conveying a sense of otherworldly detachment. We'll be fine from here. My gaze lingered on the house, a foreboding presence in the darkness. Are you sure this is where you want to go? I asked, my voice trembling. The children turned to face me, their black eyes piercing through the veil of darkness. A chill swept through the car, freezing the air in my lungs. Would you like to come in? They replied in unison. Their voices unnaturally harmonized. No, I replied. With a mixture of fear and relief, I watched them disappear into the night, their footsteps fading into the distance. As I drove away, my mind filled with questions, my imagination conjuring up the darkest possibilities. Days turned into weeks, and the encounter with the black-eyed children haunted my every waking moment. I delved into the folklore of the region, desperate to find answers about these kids that had entered my life. The stories spoke of malevolent entities, spirits that wore the guise of children to lure unsuspecting souls into their grasp. But the questions remained. Who were these children? What did they want? And why did they let me leave? The street lights are now on, and it's time to say goodbye.